Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Social Print Studio. Mother's Day is less than a month away, and they've got tons of cool and affordable photo gifts that you can order right from your phone. Plus, during April, you can take 15% off any order with the code YHL15. Just go to socialprintstudio.com YHL to get started. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today we're sharing our house hunting process and the nerdy meets woo-woo way that we approach finding the best house for our family. Plus, my weird words come back to haunt me, and we find a silver lining in losing a whole lot of drywall. So you know how a few episodes ago we said our plumbing curse is continuing to Florida? We all agree that John is cursed and I'm just like brought along for the ride, but the Pisces is not the problem. We didn't agree to that. <laughs> but I bring it up again because the continuing water curse continues. It's the gift that keeps on giving. This is still talking about the Florida house. And I think we mentioned we already knew there was some water damage in the house. Like the floorboards were buckled and stuff. And we also knew that some of the drywall had gotten wet at some point. So we were planning to have to replace some of the drywall in the house. But like we had gone through the process of actually having like a mold inspection in the house to make sure there wasn't any like mold lurking anywhere. Yeah, because when a house is that wet, you just wonder what's festering and what you can't see. So we spent $650 to get a mold expert to tell us if there were like spores. And he was like, from the test, I'll know if like it's bad in the bedroom or it's bad in the kids' rooms. And I was like, $650 well spent for the peace of mind because we can't see behind these walls and we'll get to know what's behind these walls. Well? Well, the test came back that it was fine, but we got to see behind the walls anyways. Because when they were replacing some trim in some areas that we knew were wet and like sort of patching some drywall, we knew there was some drywall that had to come out. They basically kept pulling drywall out as long as they thought they needed to. Like if it was wet or brittle or damaged, they pulled it out. And apparently they just kept pulling because it kept being damaged and brittle and gross drywall. And eventually the contractor just said, you know what, I think we need to replace the entire first floor worth of drywall because everything they were touching was of questionable integrity. Yeah, it was a mess. <laughs> and so what happened was the entire first floor, including ceilings, was ripped out. The good news, because, you know, I'm always looking for the silver lining, is that it saved us because we discovered, of all things, a leak behind the bathroom wall. Another water issue. Right. And we never would have seen it if we hadn't removed the drywall. What would have happened is we would have moved in. We would have lived there for a while. The wall would have gotten moist and weird. Really moist is the word you wanted to go for? Damp. It would have gotten disturbing in some way. And then we would have discovered what was going on. But that's the only working bathroom in this house. Like, we are moving into this house with just one bathroom that we're all going to share. And my mind can only only imagine what it would be like to move in and then have that one bathroom compromised in a big way. Right. As much as it's frustrating to have to redo more of the drywall than we thought, we went into this house knowing it was a fixer-upper, and I'm trying to just look at the bright side and not blame the Scorpio in this relationship. No, who you have to blame is apparently... (laughs) The person who attached some kind of like shed storage unit to the side of the house, like on the exterior, because according to our contractor, the guy just like drove screws through the wall and one went right into a pipe in the bathroom. Yeah, I think it might have been nailed, like he nail gunned into it. Whatever it was, it was willy nilly. Willy nilly. So I'm glad we discovered that. The other good news is that we do have a second floor on the house. Most of the rooms are on the first floor. There's just one big loft on the second floor with like a really beautiful deck. And that is just fine. So I'm also trying to look at that silver lining that it's not like all the drywall 
overall in the entire house has to be redone, just about, you know, the two-thirds of it that's on the first floor. I was going to say, just about 85% of it. (laughs) Well, I could put another positive spin on it, which is, you know, it's a reminder that when you are renovating and decorating and fixing up a smaller space, it's less expensive than doing a bigger space. Like, if we had to re-drywall 85% of our house here, you know, our house in Richmond, like, that'd be much more expensive than drywalling 85% of that smaller house in Florida. Yes, I am grateful for that. I'm also grateful there is like a limited amount of places that can leak on us. We are adding a bathroom, but that will be all new pipes. By contrast, the duplex had six bathrooms, two kitchens, two laundry rooms. Like it's almost a miracle that all these houses weren't just like waterlogged due to the luck of a certain husband (laughs) that I chose and love anyway, even though he brings a curse into our relationship. Well, and I realize all this talk about our renovation is probably making some of you hungry for pictures of the renovation. And I'm sorry that we haven't been able to share many yet. I think we've said up front that we were holding off on sharing photos until we were sure like the house was more secure and all that stuff because we don't live there right now. And we actually had been hoping to share some pictures or at least some like Instagram stories when we were there over spring break last week. But obviously that didn't happen. So We're holding off a little bit more. Maybe we can put one little sneak peeky in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast. But I'm hoping in like a week or two, we can do like a full post with all the photos of the house so you guys can finally see this place that we're talking about. We promise it exists. Yes, I can't wait to share. The second I feel like it's secure enough that someone can't just like see a picture on the internet, walk in the back door, steal my new washer and dryer or whatever someone might try to do. Like I'm just trying to balance my enthusiasm and excitement with like, obvious common sense of not sharing certain things with the whole internet. Yes, we also realized that in last week's episode, Sherry promised to put some inspiration photos for how we wanted our new house to look and we forgot to do that. I know, people started DMing me like, did I miss the inspiration pictures? And I was like, oh, no, but that would make a great post since I totally spaced on it for the show notes. So my hope is that this coming Wednesday when you're listening to this, that's my plan for the post. I'm gonna share so many. It's more than I could even pick for show notes. I'd honestly just be cherry picking one or two and it's so hard for me to pick just one or two because I'm literally working off of maybe 15 inspiration images that are very strongly like burned into my mind with the vision that I have for this house. And I'm so, so excited to share it with you. So everyone listening, remember on Wednesday to go to younghouselove.com slash that's it. Slash whatever the name of the post is. <laughs> just go to younghouselove.com and they'll be there. I'm really sorry I spaced on it last week, but it's probably going to work out better because instead of giving you just a little taste, I'm going to give you a whole big slice of cake. You know what else you spaced on is you said the words baskets in the attic, but you failed to sing your famous Broadway tune, Baskets in the Attic. Yes, everyone. I am so sorry. I got more messages about this than the missing inspiration pictures. The whole world wanted to know how I could just offhandedly list things I was donating and getting rid of. And I said, Baskets in the Attic. And they were like, how did you not break into song? Because I'm not even the originator of that Broadway musical that you created. Yet whenever anyone says Baskets in the Attic, or I even see Baskets at like Target or Michael's, I break into that song. And so I just, without further ado, wanted to write that wrong and play an excerpt of my amazing award-winning Emmy-nominated song. I believe it's a Tony that you get for Broadway. It, it has an EGOT, this song, oh, you guys. Wow. <laughs> this Nobel Prize-winning song. <laughs> Take it away. Baskets in the Attic, my new musical <laughs> starring Amy Poehler. Wow, you've already landed your lead. It has, it has a theme song and it goes, baskets, baskets in the attic, there are baskets. John is getting angry at the baskets, also getting angry at his wife for buying baskets. Watch out, Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, there's a rap. Baskets in the attic. There's some baskets. You guys baskets have encouraged Sherry attic. too much. <laughs> this is what happens. You can read about it in my new book. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda's shadow, colon, wanting a musical, but having a podcast with my husband. And if you are entirely confused by that, it's from episode 123, which I'll link in the show notes. And actually, speaking of Sherry's unique way with words, this is a perfect transition to this week's game. Before we start the game, just a quick note, I must have knocked a wire loose or something because the next bit of audio turned out a little bit fuzzier than I hoped, but it's a game. I can't redo it. So this is what it is. We could redo it and I could win. No. (laughs) So we all know that Sherry sometimes has a creative approach to describing things. I thought you were going to say a beautiful way with music. Not going to say that. This week's game is actually one that was created for us by a listener named Jeannie Rodriguez, and I have the pleasure of administering the quiz to you. Jeannie actually, coincidentally, is the wife of Daniel Rodriguez, whom we interviewed in episode 63 of our podcast. He's Dr. Budgets, and we talked to him about personal budgeting, so I'll link that in the show notes as well. But Jeannie is a listener, and she also enjoys Sherry's sometimes circuitous way (laughs) of describing certain objects, especially in the We're Digging segment. And so she put together several sound clips, some vague sound clips. (laughs) I can't wait for this. Of Sherry describing certain things. And I'm going to play them for you. And you have to guess what thing you are describing. So it's audio where I'm talking about something I love. But you're not going to let me hear what I love. I'm just going to hear myself sort of meanderingly (laughs) describing You'll hear yourself dance around the point. (laughs) I will play you the clip. And you have to tell me the object you are talking about. I can't decide if I'm going to be great at this or really bad at this. You know what it is? It's a Zamboni for your face. Oh, I know that. That's very easy. This is my ice roller. You are correct. It's the perfect description, guys. It Zambonis your face, and it makes all that, like, puffiness go down. It feels so good. And as a lover of hot, it is the one cold thing I enjoy. Okay, next. They're cylinders. They're not, like, rocky shapes. So for anyone who wants, like, a cleaner, more modern look, they're a really good solution. They're cylinders. I thought this was going to be obvious. I even knew this one. Is this like a toilet paper? <laughs> what could this be? Well, I hope they're not rocky. <laughs> you described it as a cylinder, not rocky. So if it's rocky toilet paper. They're cylinders. I'll say this. You own both cylinder and rocky versions of these. Oh my gosh. This is driving me crazy. I'm like, candles are cylindrical? <laughs> what else is cylindrical? They're your salt lamp nightlights. Oh, they're so cute. And they are little cylinders. Dang it. Yep. I'm linking them in the show notes, though. They're very good. Even though I can't remember the weird way that I described them. Okay, next. Here we go. Little pizza-shaped wedges for holding things. Oh, my gosh. This is so exciting. <laughs> now you know how all of our listeners feel. Zamboni for my face. I was like, this is going to be the most boring quiz because I'm going to nail this so hard. And now I'm like, what is a pizza? Shaped wedge for holding things. I'm like, dude, all I can remember digging is blank. Like my my mind has gone totally blank. I don't even know what I like anymore. I don't even remember my name. Oh, are these chip clips? No. (laughs) No, it's your lazy Susan under the sink that stores things and has little peaches shaped wedges like it's divided up. I thought the entire thing was pizza-shaped, and that is a circle. But it does have little pizza triangles within it for holding, like, sponges. It's wonderful, guys. I do really dig these things. I just don't remember describing them this way. I black out when I love something, and I just say anything. (laughs) It's like a very confusing walk down memory lane. I'm like, who said this? That was 
wasn't me. I don't believe that this was me. Okay, well, I know you're gonna get the next one and I will be very sad if you don't. Okay. It is flat and rubber. When I place it on the table, it doesn't ding 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 Ah, the corksicle. I knew you'd get that one. That was from episode 150. That was like not that long ago. But guys, it's a wonderful upgrade. I used to have an all metal water bottle. Many of those reusable bottles that were all metal and they'd clang around. The rubber bottom is wonderful because you place it down and it just goes quick and it doesn't ting-a-ting-a-ting. I typed it in my notes as ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. Okay, I didn't even know this one, so good luck. I don't know if you can picture a hula hoop that's been like crocheted in the middle. What? <laughs> hold on, hold on. I, I must get this one. A hula hoop that's been crocheted in the middle. Oh, oh, could this be like one of those? I don't think I've ever dug one of those seats that hangs. It's like a... You're on the right track. Um, is it a swing? Yes. Yes! Way back in episode 48, you were talking about outdoor toys and swings for our kids that we never ended up buying because we realized we don't have a tree for them. But new house, so many good trees. You we're guys gonna... just wait for it. There's going to be a hundred swings at the new house. <laughs> we're going to get so many hula hoops that are crocheted in the middle. <laughs> okay, this is the last one. It is perhaps the most innuendo laden one. <laughs> okay. It's like sort of a black padded thing that you shove into that crack and then things can't fall in it. I know what it is. It's the thing we put in the car to keep our phone from falling between the seat and the center console, which was a common problem we used to have. Our phones just slid down in there. We have leather seats. They just were always falling in there. We put this little, it's like almost like a sock full of rice. If you want to quiz me on that in the future, I will remember okay. that that is how I would describe it. It's like a padded, squishy black yes. thing. You shove it in there, nothing can fall in the crack. It's called a drop stop. Never would have remembered the real name, but I remembered the thing that you shove in there. Yes. I almost wanted to add motorcycle with a sidecar in here. And I'd be like, what was that? But it, that's easy. It's the crate of shutters, which someone else was like, hey, I thought your standard unit of measure was a ping pong table. And that would have been perfect. Like it is exactly the size of a ping pong table. And somehow I forgot that I use ping pong tables to measure things. And I brought up a motorcycle with a sidecar out of nowhere. The least standard unit of measurement. I'm sorry. A ping pong table makes much more sense. Okay. And I will put links to all of these items in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast, along with links to the episodes in which they originally aired. But now we wanted to talk a little bit more about our house hunting process. We talked back in episode 163 when we shared the news that we are moving to Florida about how we found the house that we ended up buying. But we wanted to go back and talk a little bit more about what we did to house hunt, especially this time from afar, because I think not only might it offer some insights to folks who are also in the house hunting process, but also might give you guys a window into where our brains are at and how we were prioritizing things as we tried to find our next house. Yeah, I keep getting so many questions that are like, how did you know that you should focus on this and not that? Or how did you not have so many criteria that it was impossible to find the right house? Like there were so many questions afterward of like, how are you so sure? I thought we could explain our crazy sort of scientific approach. John took the scientific approach. I took the very woo-woo, like I journaled about it. You <laughs> did. Well, I'll say this is not our first time house hunting from a distance. Like we bought our beach houses in a town we were unfamiliar with and a real estate market we didn't know. But I think that was much easier compared to what we did here moving to Florida. Because in Cape Charles, like the town is like a square mile wide. And at the time, there were probably less than five houses that fit our budget. So it was very simple 
to evaluate those and pick the right one. Also, there was less onus on it because it wasn't like, we're moving here for this lifestyle change. It was just like this place we wanted to go and have fun at the beach because we'd done day trips to the beach. And that was kind of like all we were holding it up to do. And I will also point out that we house hunted from afar, I guess apartment hunted, because we lived in New York together. So John and I had a really big move from New York City to Richmond, wherein we landed at a little apartment. And basically all we had to go on was like, John's sister was like, hey, this area is kind of good. And so we called around and I think, did we see them beforehand? Yeah, we drove to a few. But again, there wasn't much pressure on that because like it was not this big long-term house for our family. Like it was just a little apartment for the two of us to get buy-in for a little while. But, you know, moving to Florida, we were looking at an area that was like almost three counties wide. We didn't know much about the area. And within that zone, there were probably hundreds of potential houses that fit our criteria. And so when we were using sites like, you know, Zillow and Realtor to start harding and favoriting houses that caught our eye, like our list was quickly becoming very, very long. And it was becoming very difficult to evaluate which ones we should really focus our energies on. Because at some point, you know, we had to narrow it down to just one. But even before that, we had to narrow it down into a manageable amount that we could go see in person. Because if you remember, our trip down there back in February was only three days long. And we didn't want to spin our wheels trying to go to too many. And our realtor probably couldn't physically set up that many appointments for us to go see, you know, hundreds of houses. Yeah. And remember, the year before, we had gone to a different part of Florida and like kind of house shopped with our eyeballs and said, like, could we live here? And the answer was no. So we were going into this one like, we don't want this to be a waste of time. We want to be more prepared. We're hoping by casting this wide, like three county net and having looked at all the real estate sites beforehand and even, spoiler alert, making a spreadsheet. I'm glad you brought up the spreadsheet. (laughs) Because this is really a window into my brain, whether you want it or not. (laughs) Because we had so many houses hearted on these apps. John's brain is just a spreadsheet, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You know, everyone has wiggles in their brains. Mine is a grid. (laughs) The reason I made a spreadsheet was because we were so overwhelmed with all these different houses that we had hearted and favorited on the apps. And I needed a quicker way to narrow that down. So what I did was I made a Google spreadsheet where we gave each house that we had hearted its own row. And then each column were various, you know, stats or figures or notes about it so that we can see things kind of all apples to apples. And of course, like the columns had the basics, like here's the address, here's like a little picture of the front of it so we could quickly recognize what house we were talking about. And then like square footage, number of bedrooms, the price, the schools, you know, the basics that it would have to check off for us to even put it on the spreadsheet in the first place. But I think the most important part for us was we also made some columns that were about the top priorities for us. Like these were things that were very specific to us as to like what we wanted out of our next house. So yours, if you were, you know, to make a spreadsheet as well, which I highly recommend, (laughs) yours would probably be different. Like maybe for you, the most important thing is a big yard or I don't know, an artist studio above the garage. Like I don't know what your needs are, but we knew the three big criteria for us, the three big columns, I will say. One was walkability. Two was pool or potential for pool, what I like to call poolability. (laughs) Literally the name of the column, guys. Yep. And the third one was guest space, because we know since we're moving away from some of our family and we want family to come visit us, we want to make sure that in addition to having the bedrooms for us, that we also have a space for guests. And John color-coded those columns. I wasn't sure if I was going to bring that up, but here we go. (laughs) So... Even after we made this spreadsheet, and I will say it took us a couple of nights to do, like it was an intense task because- Us, and by us, he means him. 
No. Because after this is done, I'll tell you how I did this. And it's, it takes four minutes. But anyway, go for it, John. No. You sat and you helped read things off to me so I could type them in. I was helpful. Because even after we had like put everything in, we still had 70 rows in this spreadsheet. Like There were a lot of houses. I can't underline enough how many were in our initial consideration set. Because you know when you look on Zillow or Realtor or whatever, like just about every house looks pretty from its like beauty shot on the front. Like It's easy to like a lot of houses. What they're not doing is they're they're not showing you the downsides in a real estate listing. Obviously, if you're selling your house, you're not showing the like weird layout. It's just a picture of a room, but you can't tell how that room connects to another room. So what John's trying to say is that we knew there were blind spots in this exercise, but I knew because I know my husband that this exercise was important to John. John needed to go through this like giant spreadsheet to feel more in control of all this information. Well, I hope it made you feel more in control as well. Because I did implement a color code system. (laughs) The colors are really what got me. It was a stoplight system (laughs) where if something like completely checked off the box for us, it got a green. So if it said, does this have a pool? And the answer was yes. He made that whole box in the column green. Yes. But like in the example of a pool, if it didn't have a pool, but it had room for a pool, like where we could add our own, then I made it yellow. Right. Yellow light. So it's not a red. There is potential for a pool. It's just not there yet. So there's the added work of adding the pool. Yes. The red lights were ones that did not have a pool nor did they have space for a pool. I think it was a really helpful exercise because we were able to see houses that had a lot of yellows and reds or all reds and we could kind of let go of them. Even if they were pretty in the pictures, even if we thought they were in a great location, if they were not checking a lot of the boxes, then we could take them off the list and we could start to winnow down our choices. And in some cases, we were able to get rid of like entire neighborhoods because every house listed there was not getting enough greens for us. Yeah, I will say it was not a bad exercise. I fully believe that everybody processes this stuff differently and they have to go through different methods. I said I would explain my four-minute method. What I did is in my journal, I wrote down needs to have and a list and a nice to have and a list. And so in needs to have, it said things like room for a pool. Because John and I, I know it sounds crazy, but we were not interested in a house without a pool. Every time we go on spring break, we have a little pool. Yes, there are tons of houses with a neighborhood pool. I just thought it would be nice to have a nice little private pool ourselves. And so in the same way that John's color-coded spreadsheet with many columns accomplished knowing whether a house met the criteria, by me saying needs to have pool or room for a pool, I basically accomplished that. Yeah, but yours was not a filter of the actual houses. Yours was just a precursor setting up the chart. It was. It was basically like what I was looking for. And I believe that writing that out helps you recognize it when you see it. Like having that meeting with yourself in your mind about what you're actually looking for before you look for something really helps you identify the thing. Because if you don't have that conversation in your brain beforehand, you don't even really know what you're looking for. You don't know what's important to you. You haven't prioritized anything. And so as an example, on my nice to have, which was not going to kill a house, if it didn't have nice to haves. They didn't even make the chart. (laughs) Right. They weren't on John's chart. But I put them there because sometimes I believe in like putting out in the universe things that are like little bonuses that if you saw them, you'd be like, ooh, that feels like a wink and a nod. Like, Maybe this is the house. And I had written white house with a tin or metal roof. Our house is not white, but it does have a metal roof. And I would say only about 5% of the houses we looked at had a metal roof. But when I saw ours, I was like, okay, you can paint a house. I just thought it was like a little wink that my nice to have was metal roofs. And they're very expensive. They're 50-year roofs. And this house needed lots of work. But the one thing that was new, just freshly put on, were these metal roofs. So it is nice, I think, to define those nice to haves. I'm trying to think of a second example of nice to have. Well, you also had a fence for our dog, which would have been a nice to have, but like we don't 
don't even have a fence on our current house. So it wasn't going to be a deal killer if it didn't have a fence on it, because that's also something you can add or you can change. And so that was something that was nice to have, but also did not raise itself to chart level. I mean, another note I wrote was no HOA would be nice. That did make the chart. No HOA got a green, reasonable HOA got a yellow, and high HOA got a red. There were some crazy HOAs, you guys, at least to me, like $500 a month. Which is something to consider. That's my cheese budget. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's probably my annual cheese budget. (laughs) But that is something to consider because the house might be cheaper than a different house. But if you're paying $500 a month, which is $6,000 a year, that could make that house much more expensive than the other one that has no HOA. Right. And another thing on needs to have was not a lot of yard work. That just was important to me. I put it up top. I actually wrote word for word, lush yard, but not lots of work, which in my head, I didn't even know how that would work because how can you have a lush yard, but it's not lots of work? I'll tell you, weeds. (laughs) This one just has like, it's wooded. You know, there's like magnolia trees and there are moss-draped live oaks. Like it is a beautiful lush yard, not a speck of grass. So in that way, I almost feel like when you put the order out there in the universe, this is woo-woo, guys, but I truly believe in it. In writing down what I was looking for, I could identify it so clearly. Like we knew it when we saw it because we took the time to A, spreadsheet it, or B, journal it and put it into the universe. Both work. (laughs) Well, fun fact, and this points to the failings or the shortcomings of the spreadsheet, (laughs) this house wasn't even on it. The house we ended up buying, I think we said before, wasn't something that we had seen because the listing had fewer than three bedrooms and three bedrooms was a minimum criteria for us. So like it didn't come up on our results. Right. It also had one bathroom and we were like, how can we all share one bathroom? Our first house had one bathroom. It was just kind of tight for us. So ideally we'd have two bathrooms, one for John and I near our bedroom, one near the kids' bedrooms, which is essentially what we're going to create when we're done with this renovation. I will say about square footage, because I've had so many people ask me, oh my gosh, are you worried that you're going to move into this house and then wish like later when the kids are bigger, you had more space or regret going down so small? My answer, I always kind of laugh when I get the question because I'm like, the answer is no, because why would I buy a house that I think will fail me? Like we believe in our hearts that this house will work great for our family, not only now, but when they're bigger. Could we be wrong? Sure. Do we think we're wrong right now? No, we are fully convinced that this house is great or we wouldn't have bought it. We would have looked for a bigger one. But I do believe that square footage is less important than layout. We saw much bigger houses that felt smaller because the layout didn't quite make sense. An example would be the two kids' bedrooms across from the house from each other and only one near a bathroom. That just feels like the house doesn't serve the two kids who need the bathroom by putting one so far away from the bathroom. Does that make sense? And I think that's how bigger houses end up with so many more bathrooms. They spread everyone out and then they give everyone their own little like lounge area and bathroom and it quickly becomes this huge house full of rooms. And so it's really nice for me to not focus on the number, guys. It's like age ain't nothing but a number. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we got here. The square footage is nothing but a number. So don't be so married to square footage. Just think about how you use the house. That's all I'm saying. Because I think we all probably could go down in square footage if we put more onus on functional layouts. End rant. Okay. I think that just reinforces that you can try to evaluate things on paper, but ultimately seeing something in person is different. And we experienced that with this as well, because, you know, I said one of our top priorities was walkability. I mean, I think if anything was like the number one top of the list, huge thing we wanted to check off was being able to walk to things like the beach, to restaurants, shops, parks. And unfortunately for us, that's one of the toughest things to evaluate from afar and when you don't know an area because those are things that are not easy to quantify. 
We did our best to quantify it from afar using a website called walkscore.com where you can put in your address and it gives you an actual number based on like how close you are to restaurants, shops, business centers, things like that. But we found it to be imperfect, I guess is the way to say it. The best example is that the house that had the highest walkability score, that if we just were to like offer over the phone on the house that was the most walkable, it would have actually been the least walkable because we got there and we saw that it was on a very busy highway and it was across from like a number of fast food restaurants. And so in fact, other houses that got lower walkability scores made way more sense for what we were thinking of with walkability, like to the beach, to an ice cream shop, maybe a bookshop, but like it didn't need to be five fast food restaurants on a highway. Right, exactly. Like something in the middle of a shopping mall might get a high walkability score, but you probably don't want to live like next to Claire's. (laughs) I mean, you might if you're 13. You definitely don't want to live next to Abercrombie because that would just smell so much. It really would. You'd have headaches every day. Yeah. So what we did to sort of supplement that score and give it some context is we did use a lot of Google Street View and Google Satellite. I actually thought the satellite was really helpful because I could see the terrain a bit more and you could understand if the house was next to like a busy shopping center or, you know, big mall parking lot or something, or if it was like in the woods next to smaller restaurants or a park or like a community green space or something like that. Like I took a lot from doing that process. So we literally took everything on the spreadsheet and put it into Google Maps and looked at the satellite view to look around to see what the neighborhood was like. And then we would go to street view and see like what it actually looked like on the ground. So those were things that gave us a better sense as to whether these numbers that walkscore.com was giving us were accurate or not, at least for what we wanted. And one other side note I will throw out there is that another thing that's incredibly hard to rely on the internet for that we learned through this process was the schools that it's listed as being zoned to. And we'd go there in person and the realtor or we'd speak to like someone else, like we went to the school and talked to someone at a school and we learned As an example, one neighborhood we were looking at, the school that was listed didn't even exist anymore. There had been a new school under a totally different name in a totally different area. And everyone who bought a house without looking into it would think that was a school and it didn't even exist. Right. So we had to go to like the school district website and we even went to a local news website to try to, you know, get up to speed on what was really happening now and what was accurate information now. Yeah. And I will say that doing it in person is so helpful. I mean, just like walkability, you can do as much research as you can online. But I guess what I'm just warning you is don't take like the first thing you see online as fact, because I really think in both instances of walkability and schools, there was more to uncover and we had to keep digging to get down to the real truth. Well, and just the general tip of relying on the expertise of a realtor or someone who knows the area. Actually, the person that we were working with who was recommended to us by a friend, she all along after hearing what we were looking for said like, I think you'd like this neighborhood most. And we kept saying like, no, no, on paper, we think we like this other one. And sure enough, we ended up in the neighborhood she thought we would want. Totally. She had us pinned from the first day and she kept saying things to us over the phone to like placate us, which was really funny in hindsight. Like she'd be like, sure, I'll let you see that one too. And then we totally knew like, oh my gosh, she was so right. She knew from the beginning we'd be in this little like one mile radius of where we ended up. She just knew. She probably could have saved me from doing my spreadsheet (laughs) if I just listened to her up front. You needed to do that for your own process. Exactly. I'll actually put a snapshot of the spreadsheet in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast so you can see exactly what my crazy looks like. I may need to anonymize some of the information on it, but it'll give you an idea. Yes, you have to see all the columns and all the colors. It must be seen. It must. And next up we have, we're digging. Once again, we are digging some things that are keeping us entertained during the quarantine. But first, we're going to take a quick break. 
So Mother's Day is coming up on May 10th, and since a lot of us may not be able to see our moms or grandmas in person this year, it seems like an especially good time to show them our smiling faces another way. Yes, this week's sponsor, Social Print Studio, wants to give you 15% off any order with the code YHL15 and free shipping on any order over $50. That means anything from classic photo prints to cool products like metal prints, stickers, buttons, even that page a day photo calendar that we buy every single year for ourselves and a bunch of family members who love it too. Which, by the way, if you order now, those calendars start on May 1st and go through April 2021, so it's not too late. Yes, we recently actually ordered some of their soft cover photo books, and we were super impressed. They almost feel like a really thick, fancy magazine or catalog. They're big, 38 pages long, and they're only $20. We actually bought three, one for our memory box and one for each kid because they love to like lay in bed and flip through them and have one in each of their rooms. Yeah, and you can order everything on your desktop or by downloading their free Print Studio app where you can import directly from your camera roll, your Instagram feed, or whatever. You can even now save projects to come back and finish them later. Just keep in mind that the standard shipping deadline for Mother's Day is April 27th. Go to socialprintstudio.com YHL to get started, and don't forget to use that code YHL15 to get 15% off. Again, that's socialprintstudio.com YHL. Okay, so this week I'm digging something puzzling. I'm giving myself an obvious clue in case this audio is ever used against me. I will remember what I was describing. Surprise, I'm digging puzzles. We have just been setting out big puzzles for us to do. And by big, I mean around 500 pieces. That seems to be the perfect size because it's not done in like one sitting or one hour. Like it keeps us going for a few days. And it's not so big that it's intimidating where nobody tries it. Like I think a thousand would be too big and take too long for this like phase of our lives right now. And I think 50 or 100 or 250 is just too easy. Like our kids can get through those too fast. Like a 10-piece jumbo dinosaur puzzle that you put on the floor with your kids. Like we need more than that. Yes. But like a thousand pieces might take up too much of the kitchen table. Right, because where we've been doing it, guys, is I put them out on the kitchen island. And actually, this started because John's sweet mom and dad, for my birthday, they got me a Florida puzzle. They have been, like, so supportive and so sweet, and they knew the kids would like to see all the, like, things. You know, it, like, has different places in Florida, and it has, like, manatees and flamingos and all the, like, sea turtles, like, just fun Florida things. It's very cute. So I've been meaning to put it together, and hey, we have all this time together in the house now. So I just decided, you know what? Old Sherry would have put this together in a different place like on the dining table or in the coffee table. Up in the bonus room. Right. But by putting it in the middle of everything, I just think it like drew us to it. Like we found ourselves puttering away and doing a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon. One person would work on it. They'd leave. A different person would work on it. It just felt casual and fun. And in these times, I just felt a sense of accomplishment when we finished it. I couldn't wait to get another one. So again, I recommend 500 pieces. And I'll put a link to this one in the show notes. And I might round up a few more that I want to order because I think it has been just a really nice new routine to add to all of this house time. Yes, we did some over the summer that were really good and great for kids that are like under 10 because they're not too big. The patterns are easy to decipher. So like all ages can do them. So we'll make sure those are in the show notes as well. But what I'm digging this week is another podcast. It's actually a podcast I've dug before called Every Little Thing. But I'm digging a specific episode that I just listened to. And I will link it in the show notes. 
because, you know, we've talked about how doing our podcast these days is a helpful distraction for us. We hope it's a helpful distraction for you. But there may be moments where you kind of feel like you want to connect with what's going on in the world and understand it and try to wrap your head around it as hard as that is. And so there's lots of podcasts out there that are talking about the news. But this one was especially interesting to me and helpful to me because what the host did uh, her name is Flora Lickman, is she asked people who are sort of essential workers or sort of frontline people in this crisis to call in and talk about their experiences. So not just healthcare workers, but, you know, grocery store workers, bus drivers, teachers, delivery people, all those people that we have become especially appreciative of these days because they're helping keep the world running and they're making it possible for us to stay at home. You know, she had these people call in and just talk very, I guess, candidly about everything, you know, what they're nervous about, what it's like doing this job right now, you know, the good and the bad. The episode is funny. It's scary. It's sad. Like it's it's basically a compilation of probably all the things we've all felt over the past month. And I just felt like it gave some nice insight into the world right now and also just made me very appreciative for these people that are doing all these jobs that have become so important, or at least have become more clear to us these days why they're so important. So again, in the show notes, I'll put a link to the episode. It's a podcast called Every Little Thing. I like the podcast in general, but this was an especially nice episode. Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. And I forgot to say a moment ago, but thank you to all those essential workers out there. I know some of you listening fall into that category, so here's a general thanks. But if you want to shoot us a DM or a tweet to let us know what you do and how you're doing, we'd love to thank you personally too. Yes, and we'd love messages like this one from Joy on Instagram, who DM'd us to say that she listened to our podcast while driving to a doctor's appointment where she found out the baby that she's carrying is a healthy baby girl. Congratulations! And in this week's show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast, we're dropping in a sneak peek at the renovations going on down in Florida. So definitely go check it out. Yes, I'm so excited for you guys to get sneak peeks. And we'll also include the links to that Zamboni for your face, the pizza-shaped storage wedge, and that sock full of rice. Later. Bye. Of questionable integrity. Yeah, it was a mess. <laughs> and so... <clears throat> hold on, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> it's like a peanut. It's a honey roasted peanut. <laughs> Just in the very back of my throat right now. Right where you want them. <laughs>